Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The local station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with the local station. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Scott Johnson, your host for Going Ringside. Glad you could join us here for episode 10. Last week, we did episode 9, covering the federal indictment of Ted DiBiase Jr. Got a lot of good response there as we analyze that federal indictment. If you want to go back and look for episode 9 right now, you can to learn what is going on with that case. As always, continue to spread the word about the podcast. Tell your family, friends, wrestling fans you may know online. Let them know about Going Ringside. We're trying to continue to get the word out about this venture here. Um, and today we are going to talk about what I think is one of the more fascinating stories in the history of wrestling. It is about a wrestler you probably haven't heard of in many years, but he has an interesting story that has really spawned in different ways for 30 years. That would be Mark Marrow. So you may or may not remember Mark Marrow. So Marrow was um, Johnny B. Bad with World Championship Wrestling back in the early 90s. He kind of had this hybrid character that was like if you morphed Little Richard and Muhammad Ali, you got Johnny B. Bad. And then years later in the WWF, he brings in his wife to be his valet to the ring, a wife who you probably do remember very well. That would be his wife, Sable, now his ex-wife. We talked to Marrow about his time bringing Sable into the WWF and what happened there. And then later on, after he leaves wrestling for the most part, he tells me he was essentially, quote, blackballed from WWE. This was after that tragedy in 2007 that befell the wrestling world. It was the tragic end of Chris Benoit's life. When Chris Benoit in 2007 famously murdered his family and eventually committed suicide. It was a, probably the most tragic case in the history of pro wrestling. And Marrow spoke out about it, was critical of WWE at the time. And he said there was a lot of backlash he faced. So he did all that kind of in the wrestling world. And then gradually over the last 15 years, Mark Marrow has changed his life and become one of the most well-known motivational speakers in the entire United States speaking many times here in Northeast Florida to police agencies and schools in just recent weeks. So we're going to talk to him about all these things. This is the fascinating story of Mark Marrow, the man once called Johnny B. Bad or the wild man. Now he's known as a motivational speaker. Well, we are excited today to be joined by wrestling legend and now really public speaking legend, Mark Marrow. Mark Thank you so much for joining us today. Scott, thanks for having me. It's good to see you, man. It is good to see you, too. And we know you from wrestling, but so many people have gotten to know you for the last 16 years in a different light. Tell me a little about where your career has taken you since, I think it was 2007. Yes. You know, I started Champion Choice in 2007, so this is our 16th year presenting at schools all over the country, all over the world, actually. We've been to Russia, Guatemala. It's It's been just in a crazy, crazy adventure. And, you know, it's like, uh, I guess in a, in a sense, uh, I found my purpose in life. Yeah. What is champion of choices? How did you get to the point where you're like, this is something I want to do? Well, you know, it, it's, it's all about choices in life. You know, we're defined by the choices that we make and to, 
wisdom creates good choices and you get wisdom from one of three ways you get wisdom from like uh books and dvds you get wisdom yeah. from mentors uh coaches parents teachers or you get wisdom from mistakes scott i'm the king of mistakes yeah they're really smart i turn them into learning experiences that i share with other people that they don't have to make the same mistakes that i made along the along my path along my journey and where do you go? And I want to hit on some of the local stuff here in Florida you've been doing, but just in general, do you go to schools? Do you go everywhere? Or kind of who are you focused on? You know, my my audience is middle school, high school, college, and then we also do corporations and we do uh, churches also. Now, you're a born again Christian, and I saw a recent tweet from you where you said you can't talk about that really in the schools. You kind of have to tailor uh, your your speaking engagements based on where you're at. Is that accurate? Well, you know, when you're in a public school, they don't they don't want you talking about religion. They don't even want you sure. talking about God. And you know, and I and I, I respect that. But I pray my the love of Christ shines through me. You can, you wouldn't believe how many people ask me after the presentation if I'm a Christian, without even saying a word. But you know, also when kids write to me, I can you know when they come into my world, I could say whatever I want to say, and I never beat people over the head with a Bible. You know, I think it's one sure. of the things that really turn people off to to faith in Christ is, is just, you know, hit, you know, constantly tell them they're going to hell or whatever, you know, it's just love is the most powerful gift that we have. And well, um, you have been um, a lot in Florida lately. Uh, I think you were in Jacksonville days ago. You were in Flagler County with the sheriff's office there. I saw you with Governor DeSantis. What what has been going on with you in Flo Northeast Florida lately? You've been here a lot lately. It's just you know, it's just a, I guess a coincidence that I, I've been asked to go there quite a bit. Uh, I uh, I spoke at um, Sheriff Wayne Ivy had me speak at um, uh, I think it was like eleven high schools in Brevard County, okay. and it went so well. So he said to when they when they when the sheriffs had their winter conference with Ron DeSantis in. Um, in Jacksonville, he uh, in St. Augustine, uh, he, he said, "You got to have this guy be the keynote speaker." And I was blessed to be the keynote speaker for that. And that led it led to other agencies calling me and said, "We heard about you over the winter conference or whatever." So I've been uh, speaking in a lot of uh, uh, the sheriff's office. I'm gonna put you on the spot. You saw Governor DeSantis. I've talked about it on the podcast. Did you get the sense he's a wrestling fan? We've we've <laughs> speculated. Uh, you know what? We, we we weren't really together. I mean, we were at the same place, but we didn't really get a chance to discuss wrestling. <laughs> I didn't think you would. I just had to ask. Uh, so I want to go back on wrestling real quickly. So you started really to become the national prominence in WCW as Johnny B. Bad in the 90s. Was that kind of really where it started for you nationally? Yeah. I mean, I remember I didn't start wrestling until I was, until I was 31. So you were later in life. You weren't young. Later yeah. in life, yeah, and did it, and did it on and off for fourteen years. So it was a it, it was a, a blessing. I mean, it, it, you know, I, look, I think about all the paths I took in my life, good or bad, they all led to where I am today, and I couldn't be happier, more proud, or living more of a victorious and fulfilled life. How did Johnny be bad happen? Is that because uh, people uh, thought you looked like Little uh, Richard, or yeah, how did that come about? I'll give you the I'll give you the uh, the elevator story, I guess, you know, um, you know, I was one of those guys got beat up on television uh, for one hundred fifty dollars, you know. Yeah. And um, I was wrestling uh, with another gentleman. We wrestled against Doom. They were the world tag team champions. Yes. Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Yep. And they beat the crap out of us. I mean, I'll be really honest with you. It was, you know. They were um, tough men, yeah. They were tough, yes. And and who would ever think that later on in life that I would beat uh, Ron Simmons in the finals of the tournament I was in for the Intercontinental title. But it's just amazing how life happens. But anyways, uh, so after the after the uh, match, 
Dusty Rhodes approached me. He was watching me on a monitor because he was the booker back then. And he said, hey, kid, anybody ever tell you, you look like little Richard. And I said, <laughs> and I thought he was talking about a wrestler. Mm-hmm. I, said, oh, I never heard of little Richard. He goes, you don't know little Richard? I go, oh, the singer, little Richard. I said, man, I never heard that before. He goes, I think I got a gimmick for you. And that's how Johnny B. Bad started, man. And it worked. It is still memorable oh, to God, this day. Uh, I had so much fun. You know, I think the, the the greatest memories I have of Johnny B. Bad is working with Dusty Rhodes as my mentor. Mm-hmm. He would take the time to meet me before the, the matches and say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk and talk like this and do this and go up to the microphone and say this. And and, and then I'd watch him do it like how he wanted me to do it. And I remember laughing so hard, going, you really want me to do it like that? He goes, yes, I want you to do it just like that, you know? Because he was a real flamboyant guy, man. He yes, so he, he had that soul. Dusty definitely yeah, did. He was so much fun to be around. So th- those are some of my, my fond memories I had as Johnny B. Bad. And eventually I was able to drop the makeup because I was not real comfortable wearing the makeup because yeah. one of the things that, and even back then, I was even speaking at schools, and a lot of kids would one of the questions was always, "But why do you wear makeup?" You know. So I said to Dusty, "I go, Dust, can I, can I drop the makeup?" I go, "The the the, the character is really over." And he said, uh, "Yeah, you know, let's take it slow." And we did it slow, and and uh, eventually, I, I didn't have to wear the makeup, and it was kind of made it kind of went to the the Muhammad Ali Little Richard gimmick. You know, it was kind of fun yeah. that. And did you work your boxing in because you had been an amateur boxer? I think before wrestling, is that right? Yes. And um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was part of the the whole gimmick as is uh, the my my boxing background. I was a uh, New York State boxing champion uh, for many years. And uh, so we kind of brought that into the world of professional wrestling. Now, how late were you there? Was it 94 or something like that? With WCW? Yeah, with WCW. I was I was with WCW from 91 to 96. Oh, you were there that that late. What what yeah, then changed? I went, then I went over to why, WWE. why did you switch to WWF WWE? Well, you know, I always looked at the WrestleMania as the dance. It's like if you ever wanted to be, if you ever want to feel like you made it professional wrestling, it's like wrestling at WrestleMania. That yeah. is the Super Bowl of wrestling. And so I always knew I, w- I would end my career at, at uh, it was WWF back then, but I always knew I was going to end my career there. So when my my um, second contract was up with WCW, Vince McMahon flew me up and I went to his home. We had dinner and everything. And I asked him, he said, what's going to take for, for us to bring you to, to WBF? And I said, well, I need a guaranteed contract. He goes, mm-hmm. We don't give guaranteed contracts. That was a big thing in the mid-90s, I remember. Yeah. Thing, yeah. And so we shook hands. We went our own ways. I signed another three-year deal with WCW. When that was up, he said to me again, he goes, what's it going to take to come to WWF. I said, I need a guaranteed contract. He goes, you're going to be the first one to get one. And I got, I was the first one to get a guaranteed contract, which opened the really? doors for many, many wrestlers. I why, mean, why? And I know, I, I hear the phrase guaranteed contract thrown about a lot with Hogan and the NWO and then you and WWF. What does that mean in, in layman's term? What does well, that mean to get the, a guaranteed the, contract? The good thing about, see, we, WWF was paid by the house. We did a lot of shows. So depending on what the the uh, arena drew, how many people showed up and how much money it was, let's say it was $100,000 in attendance. It would be divvy up into high, how, how high you were on the card to the lowest pay is the bottom of the card of the matches. And uh, so some guys made pretty good money and some guys didn't make real good money. But the bad thing was if you got injured and you were off for months, 
you didn't get paid very much at all. Hmm. And it really affected a lot of people. Guaranteed contract, I'd get the same amount every single week, no matter if I worked or didn't work. And lo and behold, I blew out my knee, which I was out for eight months, total hmm. reconstruction of my knee, but I got paid the same every day. And it did not sit well with a lot of guys. And, uh, but now, I mean, I, obviously it's, uh, I broke the glass ceiling and it opened the door for many wrestlers to get guaranteed. Everyone gets guaranteed contracts now. One of the wrestlers that we had on last, one of our most recent episodes is Ken Shamrock. When yeah. you were in Jacksonville recently, you say you guys bumped into each other. So funny. We were both waiting. We were both uh, waiting on an Uber at the airport and we're, we're, st we're standing next to each other and we just turned at the same time. We go, Oh my gosh, we just hugged each other. I mean, we used to really enjoy each other's company when we were in WWF, WWE together. And uh, it was great seeing him, man. And he was just so, so happy of what I'm doing now. He yeah. follows a lot of the stuff I'm doing. And, I, and, I, and he's just such a great guy. It's a small world. And he told me one thing that was interesting that intrigued me because he, he had his fighting background. He said he got injured more as a wrestler because you have to do it so many days a week, just non long, drawn-out fights as opposed to like a short UFC fight. Are you surprised to hear that? I mean, you were a wrestler for many years. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, I very seldom ever got hurt in boxing, football, hockey. And I, I, I've had now 14 surgeries from wrestling. Mm. So, I mean, it, it, the thing was, is like, for example, you know, at the, in the NFL, the, they go to the Super Bowl, and then after the Super Bowl, they're, they're off for five or five or six months, you know? In professional wrestling, we have our, our Super Bowl is WrestleMania. We're at Monday Night Raw the next night, you know? Yeah. So your body never really gets time to fully heal. And uh, the, the trauma you take night after night, you don't realize how much you get slammed on your back. And you don't always land right. Sometimes you get tweaked a little bit and you land on your elbow or your shoulder or something. And, and then it's constant injury. And that's why so many of the guys um, were taking a lot of pain medication and it, it affected, you know, their health. And uh, obviously it was very detrimental, but I'm, I'm proud to say they got very strict drug testing now and you don't see as many guys dying back in the, like, I, I was going to ask about that. I, I've noticed, it seems, it appears to me just, as an observer, that wrestlers nowadays look healthier than maybe they were 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, it was it was it was a different ball game back then. Um, so we talked a little about kind of UFC and and shoot fighting that type of thing. I, which brings me to something I wanted to ask you about because you participated in Brawl for All. Yeah, I always wondered about that, and I, I'm so excited to talk to someone who was actually in it because I've heard a lot of criticisms over the years of it. Tell me about your experience with Brawl for All and what do you think that did for the industry? Well, it 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 hurt the industry because here you are trying to put on a, a real fight, a real, a real competition. And it looks so different than when we had predetermined matches. Sure. And not only that, but so many guys got hurt. I mean, career-ending injuries. And of course, it uh it uh destroyed Bart Gunn's career. He was gonna be pushed as a major player. When he he got, was, and then until Butterbean shows up, yeah, exactly, putting him there with with a with a, with a guy that can really punch, you know, and uh, so it did not do a lot of guys good, and uh, it was uh, I, I did it twice, and I you know it was one of those things where they called everybody to do it, and you notice a lot of guys didn't do it because it takes a lot of guts to get in there and really fight. Was so it you, voluntary, or how how did that come about? Well, they wanted everybody to do it, but, you know, many guys didn't want to risk losing their reputation or, you know, I mean, think about a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin getting his butt kicked, you know? 
Sure. It, it, he was, you know, he was, he was our main player. So you have to protect certain guys, you know? I think Dr. Death Steve Williams kind of ran into that because yeah, he was billed as just this major guy and then he loses to Bart Gunn. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was devastating for his career. But you remember some, these guys that were really tough guys back in the day, it, it, it's a different ball game when you get older, you know, and you're, you're, sure. you're used to working a, a wrestling match and all of a sudden you have to put on a real, real fight. It's you, you're not trained for that. Mm -hmm. And so this happens and you are kind of around the intercontinental circuit for much of your time in WWF. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Any fun memories of your time in WWF? Well, I mean, I was in a tournament for the intercontinental title um, and to, I really very proud of that because I had to beat Owen Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Ron Simmons to win the, the title. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those are three of those, some of the yes. greatest wrestlers, man. So I, I was, be, I was blessed to be in, in wrestling in the attitude era where the locker room, you look around the locker room and there's the undertaker and triple H and John Michaels and the rock and the list goes on and on of the great names that were there back then. When I first got there, there was ultimate warrior Hulk Hogan. There were so many great names that I was able to, uh, work with over the years, uh, Mr. Perfect. And I, the, I mean, when I think about Ric Flair, these names that I got to wrestle and work with were just phenomenal. And to back up on the Johnny B. Bad, so when you came to WWF, how did your gimmick work? Did you have to choose a new gimmick? Obviously, I'm sure WCW had Johnny B. Bad copyrighted well, to an extent. That, that was the hard part. You know, I think Vince felt that he was getting Johnny B. Bad. And when we found out that we, you know, obviously we were we would be sued if we used Johnny B. Bad, he they had to come up with a new gimmick. And they came up with this wild man, Mark Merrill. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't connect with the character. I mean, really, it was like I was so used to playing something I was so opposite. And now this, like, what am I from the jungle? And I, I remember in in the meeting, the talent meeting, um, uh, Vince said, Can you do like a Tarzan yell? And I don't got a very strong voice. Yeah. I, really can't and he goes oh, okay well i just you know we, we got to come with so they come up with drawings for wild man mark merrill and, and of course part of my contract was i brought my wife in who at the time was yeah and i wanted to get to that so you bring your yeah. wife rena sable in talk to me about that and the decision there well, and how that here's, went. here's the thing vince i knew i knew vince really wanted me to come to wf really bad so i put a stipulation down i said number one i want a guaranteed contract which he agreed to I want a big signing bonus, which he agreed to. And the third thing I want is I want my wife to travel the world with me. And he said, wow, he goes, I never heard that one before. I go, but think about it, Vince. You can, if, if you want, we can use her as my valet. So, you know, you're paying for her flights and traveling with me. You might as well use her for talent. Because no, let's just worry about you. And so he, he, I, I was, I was going to fly to New York to sign my contract and meet with the creative team about this character. And he sends me a plane ticket, but there was only one ticket. I said, Vince, the deal is my wife flies everywhere I fly. He goes, to sign a contract? And I said, yes. And so he sent me the other ticket. So me and my wife flew to uh, to Stanford, Connecticut. And when Rena and I walked in the room, he goes, I got to put her on TV. <laughs> it was that quick. Yeah. And then he said, can you So he had not seen her before. Never seen her before. Yeah. So he said, we would, we got to come up with a name. So me and her went and looked and thought about all these names. We came up with the name Sable. And that was the name that we, we stuck with. And uh, of course she became an overnight sensation.
how was that for you? Uh, that the gimmick was you were the jealous. Uh, I don't even know. Were you well, on not, camera not, married? Not I don't beginning. remember. Not at the beginning. No, no. She was my valet, and and of course she's beautiful, and she's sure. getting a lot of the cheers and everything. So it was an, a natural progression. After I blew out my knee when I came back, they said, "Let's work a gimmick where you you turn you know bad guy." And you really berate her and, 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 you know, make fun of her and dress her up in funny costumes and stuff, which the, the fans hated, but she always came out on top. Was your relationship strong then, or was it, was oh, it hard? Because wrestling so difficult. No, it was, it was wonderful. I was so, you know what, I got it. I'm on a guaranteed contract. I'm getting paid the same. Now I'm seeing my, my wife at the time doing phenomenal. And there's her merchandise is selling only second to like Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know? So it was obviously they're, they're backing the Brinks truck up to our house at this point. So I, I was so proud of her and happy. And we're, we're a team. You know, we're going to spend our lives together. You know, so, When so she's you, on the cover of TV Guide, is this next level for you? I, it, was, it was not TV Guide. It was, it was not just that. It was like muscle, uh, muscle and fitness. Uh, you know, uh, uh, obviously she did Playboy magazine many times. Yeah, uh, it was just nonstop, and she was becoming very, very well well known. So that never that was never the strain on our relationship. It wasn't until after we left wrestling that we really fell apart. So you leave wrestling. Was that due to injury, or how how did that happen? Well, no. This this where we go back to my ex wife sued the WWF because of um, some improper things that were happening there. Okay. And they they settled it out of court, and uh, she and I moved to Studio City, California. She wanted to pursue an acting career. She did a couple couple small movies, and uh, but she really missed the wrestling, and so she decided she wanted to go back to wrestling. And I, I had no desire to go back at that time, so I stayed. So, I was I was stay at home dad to our daughter Mariah. Mm -hmm. And um, how she old is she now, Mariah? Yeah. She's uh, 34. 30. She's in the 30s, 34. Yeah. Okay. So how yeah, she, she'll be, she'll be coming up this summer when they, okay. uh, we spend their summers together. We have a great time. Great. Um, so you don't go back to wrestling. You, you, and then, and then you, I think you did a little, I think with TNA later on, you did kind of revisit it for a while. I, I did. Um, I went to uh, TNA for a little while, you know, um, many years after. And uh, so I made a little bit of a comeback and, uh, but it wasn't the same. I mean, it just uh, did it for a couple of years and then uh, just had my last match in 2006 and, and then stayed retired. Now, in 2007 rolls around, probably the hardest story in the history of wrestling. I, I, I honestly can't think of anything worse than the Chris Benoit story. You became very outspoken on that story. I saw you on um, the news networks nationally speaking about it. Uh, no longer an active wrestler. Was that difficult process for you to go through? Because obviously it is it is as personal of an issue for, I think, the wrestling community as anything we'd ever seen. Well, you know, to this day, I'm 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 kind of blackballed from the WWE. I I I I can't go to none of your events. I've never been invited to anything. Um, but I stood up for what was right. You know, we there were so many guys that were dying, you know, and and with 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 the steroids, the drugs, the the uh um, pain medication, it, it just it just got to be too much. And so I stood up, but I got to tell you, if people like myself and some others didn't, they now have the strictest drug testing, like Olympic drug testing. Now you very seldom see a wrestler die from a drug overdose. Um, they also have where anyone that ever wrestled in a WWE ring 
can get free drug and alcohol rehab. I don't care who you are or how long you've been out of the wrestling business. Let's say tomorrow I, I, I got addicted to drugs and I need to go to rehab. They would pay for it. And that all stemmed from guys like myself speaking up years ago. So even though they may vilify me or blackball me or whatever, I think about how many lives may have been saved because some guys like myself and some others stood up. Was that hard to do at the time? Because I'm sure you're getting you're getting pressure, you know, just as a guy, well, you know, people, it, yeah. friends and colleagues, that type of thing. Yes. I mean, yes, I, obviously you lose a lot of friendships. And um, but at the end of the day, it's you got to be proud of who's looking back at you in the mirror. I mean, life passes so quickly. And, um, you know, you got to be you just got to be proud of what you, you do. And it just led to me then going on tour speaking, not not necessarily about that, you know, but about in, in just inspiring young people to live victorious lives and with bullying and depression and anxiety and many of the things that I endured in my life, I was able I to- I want to talk know. about that because I've, I've seen in, in some of your speeches, you talk about your low points. You had a lot of them that, you, that you're very open. You were very open with telling your story. I think that's the hardest part with people that are going through depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts is they hold it inside. And when you hold something inside like a trauma, it's like a volcano. And sooner or later, Scott, that volcano erupts and erupts in often in negative behavior, horrible bouts of depression, anxiety, maybe hurting other people or having broken relationships or feeling like you don't want to be here anymore. So I get people to open up and talk about it. We get over 100 messages. When we do, when we go to school, we get over 100 messages from that school. And we sift through all the messages. We find the kids that are, are depressed or anxiety or, or want to kill themselves. And I really believe that we have saved a lot of lives getting kids into counseling, but they hear me talk about it. They go, man, if that guy can get on stage and talk to us, talk to all these kids, a thousand kids, I can go and get talk to a counselor or a therapist or someone that's going to help me. How long did it take when you started the organization in 07 to where you really were like, this is where I want to be? You know, it was funny. I, I, after wrestling, I, I went through some really financial troubles after my divorce and um, bad, bad decisions I was making in my life. Drugs and alcohol came, came back with a vengeance, you know. And um, when I finally got my life straightened out, I mean, I was didn't have much money left, so I got a job at Gold's Gym as a personal trainer, and it was really humbling because people would walk into Gold's Gym and recognize me from wrestling and and say, "Oh my gosh, Mark Merrill, what are you doing here?" And I go, "Yeah." work here and they go you work at gold's gym and was that uh, was that hard was that humbling you know what i, I enjoyed it so much I, I enjoyed being a personal trainer i loved helping people and like they, they back then they had like this wall of fame and a lot of my clients were on the wall of fame so a lot of people wanted to train with me so it led to me opening up my own my own personal training studio where i had like four other trainers and myself and we train people all day long well at that time i got a call from melbourne high school football coach and he says to me, he goes, hey, Mark, can you come and talk to the, about my team? And I said, sure, I'd love to. So I went out to Melbourne High School. I spoke to the football team. And it was strange because a lot of kids would write to me, like through email. I left my information. And some of the, the football players wrote to me, go, man, that really changed my life. It really inspired me. And, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Well, unbeknownst to me, they called another school. That school wanted me to come and talk to the whole school. So it led to this snowball effect. And then, of course, uh, my video that went viral, millions of people saw it. And next thing I know, I'm getting, we, when that video went viral, we had over 3,000 booking requests the first month. At 3,000. 3, considerable, yeah. Phones. 
it was it was crazy so we we're going all over the world that year we did 293 events in 10 months it was just crazy and but then we were getting letter after letter on how you changed my life you saved my life and there's no greater joy than helping another person and it was like wow i look up and i think about all the things i went through you know my and i tell people your current trial is going to be your future testimony through our struggles we find our strength and i found this strength to help others and I, I pray I can do it the rest of my life. I really, you know, it's like, I don't want to retire. I'll just refire. <laughs> sure. Are you, um, if you had talked to yourself 30 years ago, would you have ever put yourself in this position where you're at today? I never would have seen me as a, as a um, inspirational speaker. You know, I mean, I only wish I could talk as good as I do now, back when I wrestled. I yeah. probably would have gone up the ladder a little bit faster. <laughs> Now, do you keep it, you know, you tell me some of the struggles following the issues with the Benoit and, and stuff like that. You still keep in touch with wrestlers? I think I've seen you still, you know, still strong with some of them. Oh, yeah. Well, well Diamond Dale's Page and I are very close friends. He lives, we're, we're 20 minutes from each other. So we do a lot of stuff together. Um, in fact, the video that went viral, Dallas filmed that. Which really? Was, yeah. It was really funny because um, I was I was living in Florida at the time and I was, I was speaking it like I had... Uh, 10 different schools I was doing in Georgia and one of them was close by his home. So, you know, he's got the DDPY studio there and he's got a whole production team. So he said, do you mind if they they go down and film it? And of course we had a photo, a, a, a video and photo release from the school, which means we were allowed to film there. And they said, sure. So they filmed it and uh, DDP goes, hey, bro, we put together this five minute video. He goes, he goes, you mind if we put it up on YouTube? I go, sure. And he goes, you never know, it might go viral. And sure enough, man, that video just went crazy. DDP you know, has he, an interesting story, kind of like yourself. He he's he's very positive guy and kind of really reached out to help people over the years since retirement. We have so much fun together. I mean, we you know we we do we do the DDPY together. I go over his house and do it with him, you know. And we get in the sauna. We go in the in, in his uh. Uh, Gosh, got that what a big freeze chamber. I can't remember. It's a cryo 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 chamber or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we went in that. So we do we do a lot of cool stuff together. He's um we we gosh we inspire each other, man. It's like you know it's funny because you know I became rookie of the year when I was thirty one. He did it at thirty five. You know I I became most improved wrestler. He did it also. You know and and then not only do we wrestle each other probably. Man, I'd say we wrestled each other maybe 200 times, you know, when we, when I was in WCW's Johnny B. Bad versus DDP. We opened up a lot of pay-per-views together, had a lot of fun together, man. And uh, and then when I went to WWF, um, his career just skyrocketed. I mean, it, it was just, did. It we, did. we talk on the phone all the time and I'd see him. When he and I wanted to ask about that. So when you're in the other company, were the guys between, I know we're talking the Monday Night Wars at the time, but were you guys still close, still in touch? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that Money Night Wars didn't affect your friendships with with the with the guys that you used to hang out with, you know. And uh, uh, and I still like um, this this Sunday. I'm gonna go see my buddy uh, Buff Bagwell. We're gonna be going to church together. Matter of fact, Buff <laughs> Bagwell like, at church. That's good to life, see. His life has changed so much. So yeah, um, I'm uh, looking forward to that. He's just a, he's a great guy. He's doing so well right now. I know he's he's had his struggles too, but man, I'm just you know seeing. I want to ask you about that on the church thing. You say Buff Bagwell, DDP is turned as, and I've seen other other wrestlers have kind of similar um, trajectories. Sting, Shawn Michaels, they kind of hit a low and then improve. Is that 
one of the positives of the wrestling business, would you say, that some of these guys are able to turn their lives around? Well, it's the positive for the guys that have turned their lives around and gave gave their life to Christ. Um, there's there's no greater joy. I mean, I I'm so blessed to 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 be a Christian, to to serve Christ, to um, to to try and do the right thing in life. And I think uh, the the greatest commandments are love God and love people. And I and I love both. I love meeting people. I love helping people. And I see the same gifts in many of the other wrestlers that have given their their life to Christ or turned their life around. They just want to help others. They they want to, you know, they, they, we, they, I, I'm 20 years clean from, from drugs. I mean, 20 years has That's gone a long by time, yeah. of drug free, you know, and, and uh, helping other people that have, have also struggled and then seeing their lives change. Now seeing uh, Marcus Bagwell's life change, you know, it's just, he's just such a great guy. He came to my presentation not too long ago, oh God, last month here in Georgia. And uh, he, and I had three presentations that day. So he's, I said, which one do you want to come to? He goes, I'm going to all of them. <laughs> so he was at every one. And we had so much fun. And of course, he, he treats everybody with, he's, he's one of those guys that will, will never turn down an autograph or a picture. He's just one of those guys. Well, Mark Merrow, this was a, a treat. We were so glad you could join us today. We'll definitely catch up with you again down the road. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. Scott, thank you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again, man. Take care. So, so glad Mark was able to join us to talk about his time in wrestling and, and post-wrestling and some of the things he's dealt with, um, with Sable saying that they had a good relationship while they were still wrestling. Things fell apart after wrestling. Of course, Sable famously went on to marry Brock Lesnar, and they remain married today. Um, then Mark talks about his time and his life change and that struggle with Chris Benoit. And I want to talk about that real quickly. So the Benoit uh, murder-suicide case is one that um, we're going to be analyzing in coming weeks here on Going Ringside. I'm working on getting that podcast together, so we'll have that coming um, in coming weeks. It was interesting to hear his perspective on what happened with Benoit and all the time he spent here in Northeast Florida with the Flagler County Sheriff's Office and other uh, entities who have uh, brought him in to speak as one of the most well-known speakers in the nation. So we're so glad uh, Mark could join us to talk about all these things and his life in wrestling, being trained by Dusty Rhodes back in the day, being in Brawl for All, which I've heard so many tales. I was interested when he said that they wanted all wrestlers originally involved in that. So maybe having someone like Steve Austin or Shawn Michaels in the Brawl for All, probably not good for business, just a hunch. But that was our interview with Mark Merrill. Thanks so much for joining us today on Going Ringside. We'll be back here next Wednesday. The next episode will drop, and we're glad you could join us once again. Tell your friends. Give me a follow at, at Going Ringside at Instagram. We're trying to build a presence out there on social media. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anyone who loves wrestling about Going Ringside with the local station. We'll see you next time. This has been Going Ringside with The Local Station, brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player, on News 4 Jax Plus, as well as the News 4 Jax YouTube channel.